Royal Dudes. Welcome back to Hamil Talk, the only Hamilton podcast that also doesn't know how to say no to this, where this is the musical Hamilton. My name's Henry. And my name's John. Last week we covered minutes 35 through 47 of Hamilton, and this week we pick up right at minute 47, second 23, for those following at home. Now, Henry, I'm particularly interested in this episode because we are just three episodes away from the intermission. Right, and that means we only have so much time and so much to cover before we get to that that very blessed one-minute rest that the actors got between both halves. Now, you might not be aware, Henry, but in the theatrical production, it was actually a 15 to 20-minute intermission. Oh, I see. You're one of those Hamill Talk fans that believes that there's some editing in the film. But I don't believe there is. I believe the film is is showing us exactly the experience that those in the theater got. Now, we've had this conversation a few times, and I stand by my stance, though I have never seen Hamilton in person, that it would be impossible as an audience member to have the camera angle change, unless you were to teleport on stage. Now here's the thing, John, because I have seen the play in person, and I'd also like to remind you that I've been to Disney World. And in Disney World, there are 4D theaters where the seats shake, rattle, roll, they move. And I will tell you that the seats in Hamilton physically lift up and change to match the exact camera angles that we got in the film, and the intermission was also just one minute long. So how would you respond to those? It's kind of a latter-day Hamilton conspiracy theory that in theaters without moving seat technology, that they keep genetically engineered versions of the actors who are larger. They have a normal-sized... Alexander Hamilton, medium close-up Alexander Hamilton, which is significantly larger, and then extreme close-up Alexander Hamilton, which is a three-story tall human head. I am just happy that science is meeting with us literalists, people who take the film literally, to make that the real message, the only message... Of the, of the filmed version of the play possible in a live setting. Now, I think this goes back to your thesis, which is television influences reality. And reality influences television, but only when we take television literally, as the good Lord Lin-Manuel Miranda said to. Now, I have noticed... On my, at this point, 27th rewatch of Hamilton for Hamilton, sometimes during 
The particular musical number that opens this episode, sometimes David Diggs is looking at me, and sometimes he isn't. That I think that reflects that sometimes the truth is staring us in the face, and sometimes it's looking just a little bit off to the right. And in those cases, we have to go a little bit off to the right to find the truth. Well, I think that does it for this week's episode of Hamel Talk. Yes, I have been Henry. And I have been John. And now, as always, we will, in unison, because we are in the same room together, say the words that we say as we leave every episode of Hamel Talk. I'm... I'm not not, not gonna, gonna, gonna admit, to, I'm not gonna to, how does a master son of a whore I'm bastard I'm, I'm, I'm helpless shot and good night and welcome back to zero credits the show where we talk about things my name is Henry and my name's John and together we're Henry and John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of the zeitgeist uh, a lot going on, a lot going on. So a lot of people talking about this Hamilton thing? Yeah, apparently there's this new play, this hot new play on the streets called Hamilton. Yeah, and unlike other hot new plays, the bourgeoisie aren't up in their ivory stages with their $500 tickets. Everyone can watch it if they just give Uncle Disney just a little bit, a little a little sip. A little sip, a little $7.99 sip of your money. And you too can get that bourgeoisie experience of Hamilton. Now, do you think there's anything to the conspiracy theory that only good plays start with the letter H? Think about it. Hamilton, Hades Town, Hamlet, The Heights. <laughs> it's in The Heights. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, you know, this theory that I've heard bounced around just your mouth to my ears. Uh, I don't know, because I saw Come From Away, and that's probably the best play I've ever seen. Oh, you mean Come From Away? Right. I forgot the silent H in front of it. Come From Away. I highly recommend it. And that's highly with an H. Now, what do you think about this new conspiracy theory that all of the best characters in Hamilton start with the letter H? Hercules Mulligan. Hawking. Hawking uh, Horge. Hawking Horge. Uh, why were there two H's in Horge? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Eliza Hamilton. Eliza Hapegi. <laughs> Huffaggy is probably the best character. Justice for Huffaggy. Justice for Huffaggy. Uh, Peggy becomes the uh, the um, uh, the unscrupulous woman. Yeah, the Reynolds girl. Fascinating turn. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people in Act One play different people in Act Two. It's a little thing in theater like they like to call the old switcheroo. Yeah, I thought it was called a swap when they put something in the oven and then they pulled out the finished version of it. No, it's the old switcheroo! The Romans named it. Now, I'm interested in seeing a kind of noises-off version of Hamilton. We're in the back. <laughs> you get to see in the back where David Diggs does the transformation from Lafayette to Thomas Jefferson. 
It would be funny if they revealed that David Diggs is just like a twin. Oh, what if it's here's what actually happens. Uh, they go backstage and it's just like the prestige. Everyone oh, has no. a character that looks like them in the second half. They confer with their twin and they all think they're the only one who's doing it. <laughs> they all secretly have a twin that only knows the, the other act and they're all secretly like prepping the switch at the same time. So none of them know they have a twin. It's the classic theater aphorism. You need to walk into every scene with three things. An object, a secret, and an identical twin. Right. That explains so much. That explains why when uh, David Diggs lost that finger, he also had to cut his finger off. That ex- Okay, that explains what... Okay. <laughs> so with the <laughs> prestige... Yes, we are familiar. Okay, uh, David Bowie is Tesla. <laughs> Tesla and uh, a- Andy Circus is his assistant. Huh? No, it's about magicians. It's not about the circus. Andy Circus plays Tesla's assistant. What are you talking about? A circus? Andy Circus, the actor, plays Tesla's assistant. Now you're just saying nonsense. I'm not. David Bowie is Tesla. Andy Serkis is Tesla's assistant. <laughs> That's hard to say. Tesla's assistant. Andy Serkis is Tesla's assistant. Correct. Okay, now we're on the same page. Yeah. So this week, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm drinking a little ditty I like to call 512 Pecan Porter. It is a smooth, robust porter brewed with organic Texas pecans. I don't know if I've ever read that since out before, uh, but it's delicious. I'm about to pop it open right now. I need to really wash this bottle cap opener. It's starting to get stained. And, uh, and I'm just going to take a sip, and it's delicious. All right, cool. Now, I'm in an interesting position where I purchased earlier in the week, over the weekend, uh, my favorite beer currently, the Community Beer Company uh, Citrus Lace, which we discussed last week. Uh, however, I have consumed all of that, and I consumed it very inopportunely because today I could not purchase any beer for myself. Now, John, why would you not be able to spend your hard-earned American money on a random Tuesday? Well, it's because today, July 7th, is Blackout Tuesday, the idea being... Uh, That at the very least, uh, if you are black, you would not spend any money in the American economy. Uh, To show solidarity, people are also not spending any money. Uh, I don't know what will actually come of it. Uh, From what I'm seeing, it looks like the social media reach is pretty limited. But if I can act in solidarity in any way, I would most certainly like to. So I'm just drinking some rum that I had. Ooh, what kind of rum is it? Uh, Sailor Jerry. Oh, I've had that recommended to me, and I tried it, and I still drink Kraken anyway. It's uh, it's okay. I've mixed it with some uh, grapefruit H-E-B brand sparkling water, and it is in a pickle jug. Well, that's an interesting combination. Do you feel the pickle jug adds any type of flavor or texture to the drink? Uh, only the flavor of sustainability and my significant other's resentment of me. Oh, do you, like, just keep weird containers of food that you buy to use as cups later? Uh, Yes, in fact, that is something that I do, and no one likes it. Okay, well, mason jars. 
I have mason jars too. I have so many yeah. cups. You know what's great? A nice prego. <laughs> <laughs> A oh, no. <laughs> container. I like to drink from the. That's like a Dracula. <laughs> I, I want to. Drink I like the to prego. drink from the from the prego to where I keep my blood. Um, so the 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 blackout Tuesday kind of thing is an interesting concept. I feel like it, it would be. I'm not critiquing it. It's just during quarantine, the amount of days where I spend zero money in the American economy far outweigh the amount of times the amount of days i i add money to the economy just because i'm not driving i'm not going anywhere i'm i'm working from home i'm not spending any money on the day to day i think about that too and i'd love to do a an analysis of how much money i've spent i think i might be spending equivalent if slightly lesser amounts of money just in different ways I did right, get an right. Amazon package delivered today, but I did not purchase it today. Mm. Uh, and also, how much does signal boosting this movement the day that it happens when this podcast comes out three days later? How much does that really change things? It doesn't change anything at all. I'm just questioning the, I don't know, the thing. I, too, want to hurt the American economy, like, every day. That's like I wake up and I think, today is the day that I'm going to hurt the American economy. I just want to make sure our efforts are going in the most effective ways. I think the easiest way you can affect the American economy is uh, to take money out of it. Right, right. So instead of shopping on Amazon, shop on Amazon.ca, the Canadian version of the website. There you go. That's not how it works. Yeah, and there's also an argument to be made, of course, that with globalism, since the since a lot of the uh, supply chain runs through America and a lot of companies operate out of here, it's tough to actually make money leave the American system anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, the thing is, it's just like, uh, I don't know. That was a nothing statement. I, I just, I stand with the movement. I stand in support of what they're trying to do. And that should probably be enough. It's not my place to question what they're doing or how they're doing it, just to throw my support behind them. And all it did was get me not beer today. Rum's very good. I drink rum all the time when I, uh, on a regularly scheduled basis so that I don't drink too much. That's a thing I've started to do now. It's probably the least, my, probably my least favorite liquor, honestly. Really? Okay. It's one of my favorites. And that's fine if you're a pirate, uh, but I just like to drink other things. Is it too sweet for you? It's it's too sweet. It's a little cloying. Uh, I prefer like a, like a whiskey or a tequila, really anything yeah. else, but rum is fine. I don't want to, uh, to besmirch the name of rum. It's delicious. Uh, it is distilled sugar, so like, I, you know, you, you definitely need to water it down with something. Now, you know who's not going to have an option to do anything to the American economy now? Uh, somebody who recently got arrested or got murdered. Uh, well, the jury's still out on that second one, but one Jonathan Sackler. Are you familiar? That is not a name that has come across my desk. Who is Jonathan Sackler? Uh, Jonathan Sackler is the co-owner of Purdue Pharma Pharmaceuticals. 
uh, creators of Oxycontin, uh, and a lot of different other opioids. And Purdue is largely responsible for the proliferation of opioids in the American market, which led to the opioid epidemic that we're still thoroughly in the grips of. So this would be the man who would be solely responsible for getting large swaths of our middle America population addicted to such opioids such as, I don't know, Oxycontin. That's the only yeah. one I know. I'm bad Oxycontin's with, I'm a very good one. It's, it's, it's very popular. Now, the important thing to note about Jonathan Sackler is that he wasn't uh, entirely to blame for it. Purdue and his family are largely to blame for the opioid epidemic. And I'm trying to figure out the order that I want to give this information in. So the first thing I'll read you is a tweet. Uh, and I shall uh, not say the name of the tweeter. Eh, I will. Uh, it's it's at Krulge, C-R-U-L-G-E. Uh, he made a tweet that I enjoyed, and I understand why some people had a divisive reaction to it, but I'll, I'll try to explain it a little bit. Uh, Mr. Krulge said, Remember that Jonathan Sackler might have been a bad guy, but he also had a family. I hope they die too. Oh, that... <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Jonathan Sackler's whole family is pretty gross, and they're all over Purdue. And to give you an idea of how evil Purdue is, uh, in a leaked memo and presentation, uh, one of the slides that they showed was a funnel, and going into the funnel, uh, pain, treatment, and addiction naturally linked to opioids. And the thing that comes out of the funnel is opioid addiction treatment. So essentially what Purdue did was they flooded the market with Oxycontin, and then they started to profit off of drugs to help with opioid addiction recovery. So they created the problem and then sold the solution, pretty much. Exactly. I mean, that's classic stupid, dumb, greedy marketing where you create the need of your own services. Now, just keep in mind that uh, the Sackler family ha has been under, uh, they've been fighting a, a lawsuit for this exact reason, uh, that they fanned the fires of the opioid epidemic. And statistically, if you were born after 1980, just as a fun fact, you are more likely to know someone who has died from an opiate overdose than you are to know someone who has bought their own home, uh, just statistically speaking. And they've... The lawsuit's been ongoing for quite some time. However, uh, I believe the key members of the family have filed for bankruptcy and are protected from the lawsuit now, so it's unlikely that anything will happen. Uh, so I am in no way happy to say that Jonathan Sackler is dead at 65, but I am saying that he is and feel how you will about it. Okay, well... I mean... The crimes of the person is they're they're still they're still going on. So it's not over yet. Oh, they're actively being uh enabled by his family. Uh it it is not as though his impact on the American economy and the health of America is any better. Uh, the people who died are still dead. The people who got addicted are still addicted. And that's not a problem that's going away anytime soon. 
but he is dead. It's kind of like uh, when you fight a Hydra and you cut off one head and more heads spring up. Whoever is going to replace him is going to replace him, and, and they're still going to reap the benefits of the awful things that were done either by him or under him. And in mythology, how do you typically get rid of a Hydra? I think you have to, like, burn it. There we go. Answer provided. But how do you burn the opioid crisis? Hey, I'm not here to give instructions. I'm just saying you know what to do. I don't know what to do. (laughs) I don't understand. uh, Yeah, uh, fire. Metaphorical. Mm. Metaphorical parody fire. What what does that translate into? (laughs) Listen... I'm just an idea man for the revolution. I tried to look up Hydra to fact check this, and I got hydrangeas. How to kill Hydra. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you have to call on your nephew, Iolaus, for help. Uh, And then when you cut off the heads, you have to cauterize the womb with a flaming torch so that nothing could grow to replace it. Uh, Citation from Hercules. Wait, the Disney movie? Uh, I believe there was one about him, yes. But no, this is the the factual historical figure of Hercules. Right. Uh, So, you know, just, you know, call your nephew, Iolaus, which we all have. You've, you've lost me completely at this point. I'm supposed to set the opioid crisis on a metaphorical parody fire and fo- by following the advice of my nephew, Laos, who we all have? Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's what I'm saying. All right, well, I guess I'll get on that. Listen, there are no perfect solutions to the problem. Uh, so I guess rest in peace, John Slabergon. And, uh, or, or don't, maybe not in peace, maybe don't even rest. So just be dead, John Slabbergab, and, uh, I, I guess everyone who is suffering from opioids will, will meet and discuss how to set you on fire? Nephew Iolaus, gotta remember Iolaus. Okay, so meet up with Iolaus, I, I like this better, takes me completely out of the equation. Meet up with Iolaus, and uh, he'll set you on fire, and then that'll solve the crisis. Yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. Right, right. Apparently, he was a Theban divine hero, son of Iphicles and Automedusa. Hold on. (laughs) Wait a second, not (laughs) Automedusa. Ooh, I did not know that they made Medusas (laughs) in auto now. Does she transform into, like, a mechanical snake? Apparently she was just a regular lady. Auto Medusa! Roll out! (laughs) It's really unfair to name a Greek person Auto Medusa. (laughs) That's like naming a girl, like, (laughs) Seclentor. It's like Like, naming... It sounds a lot like Centaur. Yeah. Naming your daughter Satan... Yeah, it's like Mecha um, Satan. Mecha Satan. There we go. 
Mecha Satan, get in here. We need to discuss your math grade. Mecha Satan Elizabeth. <laughs> That's great. That's good. Now, uh, Auto Medusa. Auto Medusa. You know what that made me think of? What? This is a... It, it's a pretty... It's kind of nowhere as far as what we're talking about. But I've been watching a lot of... I don't know if you know about this, but the whole coronavirus thing has made it so we can't leave our houses. I don't know if you're doing that. I don't know if this is like news to you that we shouldn't be leaving our houses. Apparently it's news to some people. Oh, no, I haven't left my house in literal weeks. Apparently you can just spend hours on YouTube watching video essays about video games. And that's what I've been doing a lot of. Yeah, yeah, no, no. There's some good ones out there. Of course, you already know about uh, Tim Rogers. Yes, Tim Rogers, fan of the show. Not really. Show is a fan of he. Yeah, show <laughs> Show is a fan. Show is a fan. <laughs> show is a fan. Uh, recently, as recently as this morning, I finished a, I believe, four-hour-long Red Dead Redemption retrospective uh, by a um, Noah Caldwell Gervais, which was really... Good. People are putting a phenomenal amount of effort into these things, which uh, I, I don't want to consider a massive waste of time because they are pretty adept literary critiques of an art form that you and I both enjoy. Uh, but was my life enriched by that? I don't know that I would say that it was. Any discussion about art is worth it and worthwhile if it makes you think about something. I did think about cowboys a lot. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, it's like, so it was the first Red Dead Redemption? That was the video essay? Well, it was a four-hour-long video essay about Red Dead Revolver, Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2. Also, uh, The Shootist, a series of Cormac McCarthy novels, The Dark Tower. Uh, it, it wove in and out of a lot of different things in the genre of Western. And it also, I think talked about gun, that weird Xbox game. Oh, did it make you feel any different about any of the things it discussed? Like, did you see something in a new light? No. Oh, really really just kind (laughs) of, just kind of drove home the themes that I cared about in Red Dead Redemption 2 and Red Dead Redemption. Okay, well, then uh, I hate to say it, John, but that might have been a waste of time. Wait, it did give me one thing. What's up? Unfortunately, we can't discuss it at length because we gave a solemn vow to each other. We cut our hands with a broken Coke bottle and shook hands and said we would never discuss the ending of the Dark Tower series. Uh, But... I've After. never read it. Really? I, I recently made the decision that I might want to read it just based on my viewing of It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2, but I've never read the Dark Tower series. I, after watching four hours of video about cowboy video games, think the ending of the Dark Tower might actually be good. Okay. Um, it is highly do you, divisive. Do you own any of those books? No, I was in a real book-stealing phase, so I read them all right. on my illegal Kindle. I might 
not commit a crime on the recording of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, go to local favorite book people and buy all those books. Half price books. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bigger half price books person than a book people per person. I literally have never been to a book people. It's pretty cool. It's, uh, I don't know how. I'm afraid like I, twice I'm a- as expensive as half price books. I'm afraid I'm not going to understand their language. They do speak in pages. Right. They're book people. And I normally only talk to people people. Listen, there's a a couple very simple things that you need to do around book people. Number one, be patient and bring your glasses. Uh, Number two... Uh, you can stop your conversations midstream with a book person, but you better not fucking dog ear them. Right, right. How do they feel about... Th- yeah, I know there's a third thing, but how how do they feel about people licking their fingers and then touching them? Uh, they think it's okay if they're new. If, like, they're oh. fresh binding and the pages are all stuck together, they kind of get it. Uh, they prefer that not to be the case. <laughs> As would anyone, I, I might add. Uh, and also the third the third most important thing is you must never sin. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Sinning in front of them would be bad. Yeah, sinning in front of a book is... Yeah. I can't think of a worse thing to do. That That is the ultimate crime. Now you can sin behind the book's back. Which is really easy. Uh, because they can turn that book around. Yeah, they can only see you when they're open and they don't have legs. Right. Man, how do they run a store? It's so weird. I don't know, man. More power to them. Yeah. Video game essays? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> oh, no. I just wanted to drop a, a quick little bit of appreciation for the Noah Caldwell Gervais person. Uh, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. Very Shout well constructed. To- Shout out to Noah Caldwell Gervais. I think that's his name. Check out his content. Uh, I'm sure Google Autocorrect will ch- will will get you where you're going if you type in Noah Caldwell Gervais. If not, shout outs to a random person named Noah Caldwell Gervais. <laughs> Someone's uh, Blogspot blog is going to get <laughs> slightly more popular, and they're going to be very confused. The blog is just called My Weird Name. <laughs> What's it like to have three names, you might ask? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's it like to be a three-namer and two of those names are last names? Number one, is of course. Is it hyphenated? I think it's hyphenated. Oh, well, then it's just two names. Oh, but if it was all hyphenated, it would just be one name. It would just be one name. <laughs> Which would be bizarre in its own right. <laughs> right, right. So you said his uh, his video essay was about four hours? About four hours in length. I'm right now in the middle of, I think, an almost three-hour-long video essay about God of War. <laughs> wow. Three hours. That's really long. And that would be like a hundred and eight. No. That would let's just go with it. That would be a hundred and eighty episodes on Quibi. Yeah, it would be a hundred and eighty-one minute long episodes of uh, his I Golden kn- Arms. 
I knew, I knew, I, I knew I did it. I did it one too many. I moved the zero too many times. 18 episodes on Quibi, um, which is crazy because Quibi is dying for content right now. I am going to start a new service called Hyper Quibi uh, where the shows are <laughs> one minute long. Well, before you do that, John, it might be worth looking into why exactly Quibi failed. And uh, I'm going to be referring to a Vulture article that came out yesterday because people are still writing articles about why Quibi failed. I feel like the people who are getting the most utility out of Quibi are uh, journalists. Right, right. I no <laughs> media journalists or culture journalists who have nothing else to write about right now keep circling back to the old Quibi well and just taking another drink out of it. And uh, I'm going to follow suit because Right. So, and then, so in this article, is anyone watching Quibi from Vulture.com? I'm just going to start reading very, very well into this article about Quibi. Why the, just, just a bunch of questions about it and we'll get a few of the answers, John. Uh, but Quibi's bigger problems were more conceptual. Who needed Quibi to break things up into quote, snackable chunks for them to begin with? As one longtime Hollywood executive told me, I have a pause button. Some wondered whether Quibi was a feathered fish, and Katzenberg had mistaken an incremental innovation for a grand disruption. To combat the idea that Quibi would be providing something that already existed, Katzenberg leaned into making Quibi seem different. To emphasize... To emphasize... Emphasized that this wasn't just TV on your phone, he declared that Quibi wouldn't even be available on your TV when the app launched. He also heavily hyped Turnstile, and once Quibi was all in on this phone-only tech, the decision to not prioritize casting to TV was even harder to reconsider. In interviews, Katzenberg would admittedly emphasize Quibi's novelty. Some employees within Quibi wondered whether young people would pay for the service. You never dissented on that point, recalls one of them. Their fundraise was predicted on a plan that showed revenue targets so that they could never unwind that. Katzenberg says much the same when I ask him why Quibi doesn't have an ad-supported free offering. Literally, he said, you cannot do the math. A bigger question was whether they were doing the math on something that might be considerably less than it appeared to be. One media investor suggested the quality of Quibi's lineup reflected an adverse selection bias. In other words, Quibi is getting A, talents, B, material, or else producers death roar scripts, which haven't been able to attract a more established buyer. If we have a show that's going to be a huge hit, you pitch to Netflix. HBO says a producer of a project at Quibi. If it doesn't get traction, you pitch to Quibi. Indeed, many of the shows Quibi picked up had been widely shopped elsewhere beforehand. All of the things coming out right now about Quibi explain so much about it. Uh, I think that this is the first and most uh, succinct article to describe 
what I would like to call Quibi tier content. Because whenever right. I, I see something coming to Quibi, I'm like, that doesn't exactly look like what I would imagine the machine of show business to create. It's like everything that's on Quibi is like a show that would be on a TV in another TV show or a video game. Right, right. Or it's like a YouTube series that nobody watched because there were no stars attached. Yeah, they, that they too. Paid, yeah, they paid huge amounts of money to get stars attached to projects that the creators had already sort of given up on. But here's where the rub is, John. People have wondered why Katzenberg and Whitman in their late and early 60s respectively, and not very active on social media, would believe they have uniquely penetrating insight into the unacknowledged desires of young people. When I ask Whitman what TV shows she watches, she responds, I'm not sure I'd classify myself as an entertainment enthusiast. But any particular show she likes? Grant, she offered, on the History Channel. It's about President Grant. Katzenberg is on his phone all the time, but he is also among the moguls of his generation who have their emails printed out and vertically folded for some reason by an assistant. An enthusing about what a show could mean for Quibi, Katzenberg Katzenberg would repeatedly invoke the same handful of musty touchstones, America's Funniest Home Videos, Siskel and Ebert, and Jane Fonda's exercise tapes. When Gal Gadot came to the offices and delivered an impassioned speech about wanting to elevate the voices of girls and women, Katzenberg wondered aloud whether she might become the new Jane Fonda and do a workout series for Quibi. You can't see me right now, but I am in complete disbelief. I never... It's the piece of the Quibi puzzle. It's the it's the Quibi... Uh, what's the... Rosetta Stone. It's the Quibi Rosetta Stone to understand everything that we've seen so far. Quibi is a boomer invention. It, it, it's got, reading this article by vulture.com has finally made like the last quibby gear fall into quibby place for me to understand that quibby was never going to succeed because it's boomers trying to understand media and cell phones without consulting anyone who works in media or cell phones. This in and of itself makes Quibi a fascinating case study. And I'm somewhat interested to watch media on Quibi. I shan't, but I'm somewhat interested. This it gets <sighs> it gets worse, John. It gets worse. At a casting session this year while watching a tape test for a Daily Essentials host who was a black man with an afro... Katzenberg said the man didn't look, quote, authoritative. 
Um, Content executive Shauna Thomas, an Emmy-winning journalist from Vice News and NBC, was used was used to the political incorrectness endemic to casting conversations, but as a discussion of the candidate's hair went on and on, she felt increasingly uncomfortable and left the room to avoid becoming f- visibly upset. That evening, she and Katzenberg had a long phone chat in which she explained why she made a point of wearing her hair in a natural style on TV, so that, say, a little black girl watching MSNBC could see someone authoritative who didn't conform to the predominant white American standard of beauty. Afterward, she felt Katzenberg had understood her. The, conversa- the discussion was frank, honest, and positive, and might, not have, and might not have gone as well at another company, Thomas says. Hmm... Okay. It seems like that so, was painting Quibi in a pretty positive light. Yeah, yeah. So the, what maybe was initially a negative thing, a negative experience, maybe they tried to learn and grow from it. So let's not count Katzenberg out quite yet, but also he tried to call Gal Gadot the new Jane Fonda and get her to do exercise tapes. I think it's... There's a certain kind of entertainment that it seems like Katzenberg is hearkening back to with the America's Funniest Home Videos, the Jane Fonda workout, and the Siskel and Ebert uh, that I like to call uh, media garbage. It's from a a time in entertainment where just people were happy to be watching anything. Not to say that workout videos are bad or Siskel and Ebert are, are bad reviewers, but there was a time when the media that we consumed... Uh, was was pretty disparate, rare, and vacuous, and it seems like that's what he still wants. It kind of, so like, with the thinking about America's Funniest Home Videos, which was basically proto-YouTube, it, it feels like Katzenberg wanted to create YouTube, but didn't know it already existed. Well, I mean, to my understanding, YouTube is just a series of three to four hour long videos of people talking about video games. So there, I understand also, where Quibi yeah. is coming from. <laughs> uh, so K- Katzenberg and Whitman also point out that they stock the Quibi offices with young employees who, who are in the demographic they're trying to reach. But, quote, there was an incredible lack of knowledge of the audience and dismissiveness of the audience. Another ex-Quibite says, quote, a thing Jeffrey always says is, I'm not a child or mother, but I have made movies children and mothers loved. I know millennials better than millennials. Oof. Katzenberg had at times been well served by his intuition, and he remained convinced of its acuity. Quote, I say, where's your data? Whitman says of their contrasting styles. He says, there is none. You just have to go with your gut. Oh, no. Oh, I have to imagine, though, for for someone who's been pitching an idea around, what do you what do you do when Quibi's on the table? When Quibi's the only person who hasn't said no, I feel like some of the like okay, so the, you, you shopped it to HBO, you shopped it to Netflix. Hell, you even tried Hulu, even though like they only got like Handmaid's Tale and whatever James Franco is working on, and so you go to Quibi and you're just like, look. I don't know. There's 
there's 50 states and you, you got to think each state has a weird like old urban folk tale thing so uh, we get we get reenactors and I, I, someone to narrate it and like they're 10 minutes long and it's called like 50 states of fright And then Katzenberg says, I have one important question for you. Will this push the envelope more than the Dick Van Dyke show? Yeah. Are, are, we, are we risking too much? Is this too different from I Love Lucy? I don't know but, if audiences are going to like this. Like, they love I Love Lucy. Listen, it's in the name. I, I just don't it, it, want... It's called, yeah, it's called I Love Lucy. Yours is called... I don't love 50 states of fright. I, I just, I don't get it. Listen, it's very important to me. We have to land on the right amount of class. I want to be more bosom buddies. I don't want to be like all those whores on happy days. Yeah, yeah. Look, too much flirting on happy days. We're going to have Jane Fonda doing exercise tapes. It's what was Katzenberg? Was he Disney? He was a little bit in Disney. Uh, the the first part of this article goes a lot into his backstory and his history. I skipped it because I didn't think it would make for compelling reading. I think that's um, fair. Uh, I instead, so that a lot of this is discussing the thinking that went behind Quibi when it came out. Or before it came out, the, the the thinking behind Quibi. The article starts to cover too what happens when Quibi is released and it fails. So here's some of that. Almost immediately, it became clear just how badly Quibi had failed to understand its digital native audience, and its zeal to control how its content is seen. One of Quibi's arguments to advertisers is that it's a quote brand safe environment. Quibi didn't allow screenshotting, which makes it harder, or at least less fun, to talk about its shows on social media. The de facto water cooler is an officeless era. If you want to share an image from a Quibi show, you have to use a second phone to take it. Oh my god. When the golden arm drew Twitter's attention, the delight was followed by scorn as people realized Quibi's screenshotting limitations. Quibi also suffered a security fiasco when journalists reported that its email verification process sent its, u- sent its users' private data to third-party farms. I would like to be very clear in that not is there thinking that if they allow people to screenshot shows on Quibi that they're going to take thousands of screenshots, layer them together into a a sequential order, and upload these sweet, sweet Quibi shows to Pirate Bay. Here's the thing. They're in a meeting. It's Katzenberg and and maybe Whitman and a whole bunch of their young employees. And uh, one of their young employees takes a screenshot on their phone, and and Katzenberg, Katzenberg is like, Wait, 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 what, what did you just do? And uh, the person's like, oh, I took a screenshot. I want to share this with my my girlfriend, you know, back home. And uh, so I'm going to take a screenshot on my phone and send it to her. 
And Katzenberg is like, oh, oh, you could do that? No, 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 no. If people do that 20 times a second, they could steal the whole show. Yep, Mr. Katzen, they wouldn't have sound. But they could turn on the closed captioning. Then they wouldn't need the sound. This is, this is a pro... Whitman, Whitman, did you know this? Whitman, Whitman, get it. Whit- Someone wake Whitman up. So the I think the nightmare that exists in Katzenberg's mind is he flashes forward to someone typing in Quibi into the Pirate Bay, a website that no longer exists. <laughs> uh, and then there's a, one of the first items under hot. It's got 50 million downloads in the last hour is uh, Red, Eddie Redmayne is a sad, cursed toy maker. Uh, then in all caps, no sound CC on screenshot cut. <laughs> it's the only. How do we, the, uh, how do we disable this? How, well, it's going to be a, a huge technical investment, uh, <laughs> and it will make people hate us. Right. Oh. <laughs> okay, so there's a podcast. There's a podcast that Jeffrey Katzenberg is on. And, oh yeah, uh, and uh, they're they're talking about Netflix. And they talk about like a a GIF from a Netflix show, and then Jeffrey Katzenberg is like, "Wait, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't take screenshot, you can't, you can't save it. It's a, it's a moving file." And they're like, "Yeah, but you can take a series of screenshots and loop them together." And he just stares off into space while the curb your enthusiasm theme plays. <laughs> wow, yeah, that would be great. He's on Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> Like what's what's that moving picture on the screen, Jamie? (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. So apparently, I I don't remember when Quibi launched, but apparently it launched with a ninety-day free trials. One of the the, I'm going to call that one of Quibi's most incredible coups in the space. Right, right. When you have content that lasts less, you know, ten minutes a pop. You give people three months to watch it, but apparently the 90-day free trials are going to begin to expire this month, The and the industry conversion rate from a free trial to a page subscription hovers below 33%. According to research firm Parks Associates, if that holds true for Quibi, it could mean that less than 500,000 people would be watching a network that spent hundreds of millions of dollars on brand new premium concept. We don't know uh, what quite what to expect, Whitman tells me in the in late June. Kobe still has a lot of money in the bank, an estimated 70, $750 million by the end of this year's third quarter, and Katzenberg has said its runway will take it through late 2021. All right. So I imagine that, uh, that Whitman is saying this while in the background, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg is printing his emails and then shredding them. Gotta delete these emails. <laughs> Gotta delete these emails. We can't be found out. Yeah, so what shocked me the most about reading this article, it, it takes a personal beat because it follows the uh, a showrunner of a show that's already been canceled on Quibi called like Frat Boy something. Um, Frat Boy Genius, which is about the, uh, the guy who invented Snapchat. And uh, it, it follows his journey through pitching to Quibi and like all of that to meeting Katzenberg and Whitman and then dives into like a background of Whitman 
And then the reveal that Whitman prints his emails and folds them to read them. And Whitman doesn't even watch television. And it all becomes so clear that Quibi is run by people who don't understand what it takes to create content. And that's why it's failing. I mean, we never knew. We never knew why Quibi was going to fail. Usually when you see ads for a new hip internet service and like during a primetime event, uh, they first debuted, I think it was during the Super Bowl and and then continued up in the Oscars. Um, Usually when you see stuff like that, it's by a young gun, you know, it's by people trying to break into the space who are, who are, this is like a startup community or whatever. But these are established names. Like, they come from money. What were they thinking? I. Every time we talk about Quibi, my desire to engage with Quibi's content grows. I, I am morbidly curious about any of the quality of these products. Like, it, it baffles me. It baffles me that this exists. That apparently Chris Hensworth is now has a show on Quibi, and and like they they apparently tweeted out, "Hey, look, we actually have a good show now," and I, I forget what it's called, but like, how do they keep making stuff with nobody paying for it? I mean, if they've got almost three quarters of a million dollars in the tank going into twenty twenty one, I can almost guarantee you, in twenty twenty one the following headline will be the following tweet will go out from the official Quibi Twitter. Uh, Big news. Uh, Quibi will now allow shows that are 23 to 45 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think they already, they already gave up the grounds of uh, not exporting, exporting, not streaming to televisions. I think that they're already coming to televisions so they might as well embrace one getting content that's already made, and two streaming longer content than the ten minute bites or whatever. Didn't they initially want to make it so all shows on Quibi would be shot in like portrait mode? Yeah, it's it supposed to be content that fit your phone. Uh, and now you can can you rotate it now? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, if you can, that would be a nightmare to film for. Yeah, it's got to be both both portrait and landscape. Good luck. Just just horrible. I, I I'm just I'm I'm waiting for more reveals. I'm waiting to find out that that Katzenberg and Whitman are stand-ins for the real person behind Quibi, Emperor Palpatine, like a dried up husk of a Sith Lord who's trying to like feed on the minds of the young but keeps missing and and, like I'm waiting to find out that it's that it's uh, like a Rockefeller an ancient Rockefeller I think that there's it's got to truly exist I I think that one of the one of the greatest things that uh that J.J. Abrams gave us when he when he entered the Star Wars franchise. He taught us a lot of lessons. He also taught us that there are evil, zombified old men out there who uh, are still planning our downfall. 
Yeah, and they're like, I am all of the media. They, uh, they're also, they were behind a lot of failed McDonald's marketing campaigns. <laughs> but did somebody say McDonald's? Yeah, they, uh, they, they're the ones who made that billboard with a picture of a hamburger that said I'd hit it. Uh, oh. any, anything that is a, a mass market, just total flop that's aimed at young people, these zombified monsters <laughs> are behind. I like there's an old man in a hood. And he's like, I'm all the media. I'm all the bad decisions. And like, they take off his head. And it's like the real time player. <laughs> Pretty much. It's 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 quick time from Apple. <laughs> uh, man, I I just don't know what to do with Quibi other than eventually uh, say to my my Quibi lust by actually <laughs> watching something on Quibi. <laughs> So in 2021, toward the end of the year, we're going to find out that uh, Quibi is going under. And then the next year, 2022, we'll hear stirrings and rumors of the construction of a second larger Quibi that we need to take down. And we have to fly out to the forest moon of Endor to be able to disable the shield generators so that our torpedoes can hit the larger Quibi that's still unfinished as of yet. Yeah, that one's under under construction. Uh, and honestly, this one will not be as good as the second one, where we didn't even blow up a Quibi. Right, right. The, fir- the, the first Quibi is going to fall apart on its own. But the second Quibi, we have to blow up, because we know what will happen if it's uh, allowed to, to live. I did, however, just learn that there is a list of upcoming Quibi shows. Oh, okay. I, I'm very, very interested to hear this. Uh, let's see. Uh, their upcoming dramas, starting as early as July 27th, Don't Look Deeper. I don't know what that is. Uh, the Fugitive, I guess a remake of The Fugitive. Let's see if there's anything. I didn't kill my wife. Uh, a show called The Last American Vampire. I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> Spielberg's After Dark. I didn't kill my wife. Wolves and Villagers Untitled Code 8 spinoff. What is Code 8? Oh, um, I didn't kill my wife. Okay, so they're making a spinoff for Code 8, which is a 2019 Canadian science fiction action film. Uh, incredible. Oh, cool. So I wasn't off with my robot guess. Uh, what about their comedies? They have Die Heart, which might be a Kevin Hart thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. So I I looked up the list of the lineup of things coming to Quibi, and the first category, inexplicably to me, is movies. Movies coming to Quibi. M- movies? How do you watch a movie on your phone? I thought they were supposed to last ten minutes. How do you watch a movie on your fucking telephone? People see a film on their fucking phone and they think they've experienced the film? Uh, I will say, uh, in terms of their comedies, uh, the only one that I think is pretty funny is something called Ten Ton Chum. Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. 
Uh, they have wait, a, wait an, a second. They have an wait a animated second. show coming called Gloop World. Oh, wait. Oh, Gloop, not Goop? Yeah, Gloop. Okay. Some of these aren't original. Um, apparently, Punked is on Quibi. But it's 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 hosted and executive produced by Chance the Rapper instead of uh, Ashton Kutcher. Oh, that's interesting. Why? How much free press should we give Quibi? Uh, okay, we're going on like a a full separated by weeks, but like a full month of of free press to Quibi to the point where I think you've got seventy five million dollars. You say, Mister Katzenberg. A little of that money could come our way. A little, uh, give me a little, a little, a little ad revenue. A little, a little of that money. Give us a little, a little, a little of that money. Now, Mr. Katzenberg, this is a genuine plea. We've torn you to shreds ever since we learned about your service. And I'd like to say we maybe started a trend. Uh, there's not a lot of positive press about Quibi, but Mr. Katzenberg, wouldn't it be nice if there was? Wouldn't it be nice to have two nice boys sing Quibi's praises every week, uh, roughly? All it's going to take is $75 million, a tenth of what you have left. Right, right. That's nothing. You can probably fundraise that from your investors back and more. We will just take a small lump sum of $75 million. And then that, you know what that, you know what your $75 million gets you, Mr. Katzenberg? A lifelong dedication to promoting the tar out of Quibi. Now, what I'd like to do for you, Mr. Katzenberg, is I'm going to read a, a summary of one of the shows coming to Quibi in the near future initially we're going to give you what we would say about it normally and then we'll give you a read about how we would cover it if you paid us 75 million dollars are you ready for the copy i was mentally mentally bracing myself yes so i'm okay. prepared so in the quibi series die heart Uh, Kevin Hart plays himself in this comedy series about his fictional journey to land a role in an action movie. In preparation for the part, Hart must train with an eccentric action school teacher, John Travolta, and fight his way through over-the-top action sequences. Natalie Emanuel will star as Hart's rival at the Action Star School, and the series promises to feature cameos from some of the biggest Hollywood action stars. Uh, now, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start with our initial take. Um, I hate this. Uh, it sounds like another <laughs> stupid, self-congratulatory Kevin Hart thing where he's like, ah, oh, I'm short and I'm, and I'm wiry and I want to be an action thing. And I feel like Kevin Hart's entire thing post-comedy has been he wants to exist around ripped dudes and make millions of dollars, which, hell, I can't blame him. Uh, also, John Travolta... No, I hate this. Yeah, so my original take for this would be, oh, what a way to capture this millennial audience. All the things that millennials love. Kevin Hart, John Travolta, actors 
playing actors trying to get in movies where they get paid millions of dollars, whereas all the our millennial selves are just trying to afford rent and food. Yeah, it seems like you really knocked it out of the park this time. I don't know one fucking millennial that likes Kevin Hart. Right? Kevin Hart is like a mom or an aunt thing. Yeah, maybe he plays well in certain demographics that we are not privy to. I'm not sure. I like The Rock, and Kevin Hart keeps attaching himself to The Rock, so... Eh. But if you paid me $75 million... I would have to say, wow, what a way to connect to millennials. Uh, Kevin Hart, John Travolta, actors playing actors trying to get cast in movies. You really knocked it out of the park this time. And here's a quick read on what I would get for a cool 75 mil. Man, I love Kevin Hart. That stupid piece of shit is great. I really look forward to this dumbass show about him trying to be in action movies some more. Uh, He hasn't ruined enough action movies already enough by being in them. I love Kevin Hart and I love John Travolta and I love Quibi. I I would even throw in Kevin Hart. I can completely look past that thing where he said he would attack or perhaps beat his son if his son were to come out as homosexual, I can completely overlook that. And he's working with John Travolta, who also has problems in the same sphere. It's great that they're working together. Two actors I've never seen together on the same screen. Wow. And and they get to be movie stars. Cool. Die Hard is the only piece of fiction that actually absolves all of its actors from their sins and misgivings. This is the only one that has ever existed or ever will exist. Die Hard. Five out of five. Give it an Oscar. And you could watch this for only $7.99 and whatever the... uh electricity costs to charge your fucking cell phone. And if you use promo code zero credits, that's right. <laughs> that's that's right. www.quibi.com forward slash promo code zero credits. We get $75 million. Sign up today. Your first three months aren't free. Now, now, Mr. Katzenberg, you might be thinking 10% of our total remaining money is too much. So you know what? I'll do you one. I'll do you a little favor. If you think $75 million is too much, we'll take 1%. $7.5 million. Now, you're not going to get as much. You're not going to get as much positive reads in regard to your, your service and your content. But for 1% of your remaining money, $7.5 million, we would still promote the tar out of your content probably for the rest of our days. Yeah, honestly, for 1%, I would still give a glowing review, but I would also say one extremely inflammatory thing that is directly tied to your company every time I praise it. Right, right, right. See, 
With the 10% package, you get complete immunity from our scathing remarks, but we'll settle for the 1%, the $7.5 million package. You will not be immune to just us raking you over the coals. The coals will just, they'll have set out a little bit longer. They'll be a little bit cooler than they would have normally been. Don't know where I was going with that metaphor. (laughs) Now I'll give you a sample. I'm going to do a read for an existing series called Dummy, which is a, an off-kilter buddy comedy starring Anna Kendrick and Donal Logue uh, telling the story of an aspiring writer and her boyfriend sex doll. I think we've all seen the trailer for that. Uh, I actually so the, I have some insight into this uh, into that series, but please go ahead. So here's the one percent package. As I said, praise. Uh, I love Dummy, this off-kilter comedy. It's such an interesting look at dynamics, and it smacks of gender. Also, I, John, and Quibi and all of its employees hope that Jair Bolsonaro dies of the coronavirus. Goodbye! (laughs) Right, and my 1% package would look a little something like this. What a refreshing take on gender norms and dating in this weird post-millennial world that we live in. And also, the writer and creator of the show is dating Dan Harmon, and the show is about his weird mannequin leg that he actually masturbates with. It's weird! They turned it into a sex doll for the show, but it's actually about Dan Harmon's weird mannequin leg. And if you didn't know that before, now you do. He rubs his nipples with it. So that's what 1% can get you. Right, right. For 75%, I wouldn't mention Dan Harmon or his weird mannequin leg at all. I would just note that Cody Heller is a good writer, and she created the show, and she happens to date another good writer, Dan Harmon. That's all I would say for the the, the 10% package. Now, unfortunately, uh, you could... I don't even want to say it, but we are offering a 0.1% package where you could give us 750000 You know what? You don't even want it. It's not good. We would actively attack your show it's, and your con. We would actively tell people not to download it. The money you would be throwing away, you're... You're much better off paying the 1% or even better off the 10% package. But the 0.1 package, the the 0.1% package, we do have to offer it as like a budget sort sort of option if you want to be very thrifty. It would be illegal for us not to put it on the table, but to be... It's not even worth talking about, okay, you twisted my arm. If you give us $750,000, yes, we will praise the shows in a very vague way, but we also will erroneously me to one of the cast members or a member of your staff. We will cancel one person per ad read, either until we're out of people to cancel or you just have no one left on your staff. And like I said, you don't want that deal. You don't want it, but we have to offer it to you. Yeah. Should we give them an example of what a, a 0.1% ad read would sound like? 
Yeah, so let's go with, let me see. I think this one's already on the network. It's uh, Flipped. Uh, Will Forte and Caitlin Olson star as an unemployed couple who set out to become a TV renovation duo, but wind up being kidnapped by members of a drug cartel, played by Andy Garcia, Ava Longoria, and Arturo Castro, who forced them to renovate their houses. Uh, the comedy series is produced by Funny or Die. Now, a 0.1% reading of that would be this. Flipped is an okay show. The entire cast of Funny or Die took private pictures of me while I was using the toilet and sold them on the internet. And and here's my ad read. Flipped is a show you can watch on Quibi. And President Ulysses S. Grant was involved in the major scandal The Whiskey Ring, which it was exposed in 1875 and involved a network of distillers, distributors, and public officials who conspired to de- defraud the federal government of millions in tax, liquor tax revenue. Wait, was that just a fact about Ulysses S. Grant? We're canceling Ulysses S. Grant! <laughs> That's right, Whitman. We're hitting you where it hurts in your home, on your television. (laughs) Your favorite show, canceled. Cancel Grant. Hashtag cancel cancel Grant. It's important that you do not make that trend now because we will lose an important bargaining chip if Ulysses Grant is canceled now. This was a hypothetical hashtag. Do not get... Hashtag cancel grant trending. We need that later for if they take the 0.1% package, which, you know, they really shouldn't. Absolutely, they should not. And if you pay us nothing, we'll just kind of continue apace. And sometimes we'll talk about Quibi and sometimes we won't. Honestly, one could argue that it's a better deal not to pay us. But it's... (laughs) It seems like Vulture.com is publishing a story about you every week. So uh, if you don't pay us, I don't know. Maybe we keep reading these Vulture stories. Huh? Vulture.com. They keep they keep publishing stuff about Quibi. Maybe we keep reading it. Maybe slip us a little money. We stop reading things about Vulture.com. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we do that. This is my bragging voice. It gets louder the more I want you to pay me. Uh, so please pay us, Quibi. At least consider it. Yeah, that'd be great. You know what I would do with seven, half of $750 million? Oh. I'd promote Quibi. I would make that my job. <laughs> it would be my full-time job forever. Yeah, right? Like, also- I would be out on the town, you know, in a bar in a, a future where COVID doesn't exist. And I would be, like, you know, well-dressed and just, like, sitting at the bar and someone would come, like, sit next to me and I'd be like, hey, watch Quibi. And then I would walk off into the night, never to be seen again. If you gave me $375,000, I would... Million. Million, sorry. <laughs> you gave me three hundred. I almost really lowballed myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you gave me three hundred and seventy-five million dollars, I would tattoo "Watch Quibi" across my knuckles, and then whenever anyone asked me anything, I would show them my knuckles that say "Watch Quibi." 
Right, yeah, yeah. On one hand, you have tattooed Watch. On the other hand, you have tattooed Quibi. And then on my palms, I would have uh, Die on one and Heart (laughs) on the other. Oh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, God. Because the conversation would go, I'd show them my knuckles and they'd say... Watch what do Quibi. I watch? What do I watch? Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard. Die Hard. And then they say, wow. "Oh, I don't really care for Kevin Hart." And then I'll lift up my shirt and I'll have tattooed um "Dummy" or "Flipped is fine too" on my chest. Hmm. And on your arm, of course, without question, you have tattooed the golden arm. <laughs> Absolutely bury me with my golden arm. People walk up to you like, did you play football? And that's when you show them the knuckles. (laughs) And that's why I go, watch Quibi die hard. (laughs) You would become a walking advertisement for Quibi. Which obviously... Oh, yeah? Let me tell you, if someone came up to me, if someone was tattooed with like a a watch VRV (laughs) or a or like a like a watch Comedy Central tattoo because they made a similar bargain. Guess what, baby? We're going to the fifty states of fifty states of fight. Whoa! You would you would invite them to the fifty states of fight? I would invite them to the fifty states of fight where I would show them my golden arm and I would bury them with my golden arm. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I guess for for. Seventy-five million dollars. I would. Uh, I'd do a lot of things I wouldn't be proud of if they didn't pay me. Hey, that's how capitalism works, baby. Baby. I don't know what that was. So that's Quibby for this week. Yeah, that's our quip date or quip date for this week. And now I our will qu- say that I, I did mention something during. During our Quibi talk, that obviously parody I don't believe about Jair Bolsonaro. But did you hear that Jair Bolsonaro has the coronavirus? I thought he died. <laughs> no, he is very much alive, but he does have the coronavirus. Oh, I thought he was dead. <laughs> uh, so the interesting thing about him having the coronavirus is uh, he's been going around uh, calling it. Wait, a- wait, hold on. Pause, pause, pause. This is a different guy than the guy you were talking about before we started talking about Quibi. This isn't the opiate guy? Uh, No, that was Jonathan Sackler of Purdue. This is Jair Bolsonaro, the authoritarian right-wing president of Brazil. All right. I I apologize. I've got got name blindness for the letter J because there have been so many J names in my life. That I just assume they're all the same at this point. That's totally fine. Uh, I'm offended. However... You should uh, be. uh, Jair Bolsonaro has been calling the coronavirus a little flu. uh, And kind of downplaying its effects. And we don't need to talk about the coronavirus or this asshole very much. Uh, but I will like—I would like to say he has caught the coronavirus. And in Googling his name, I found a Jacobin article from March... Uh, when he was not sick, that says, open quotes, a little flu, close quotes, could be fatal for Jair Bolsonaro. 
And they were That's using that, great. you know, a, a metaphorical political sense, but very, very nice. It, it seems like there's an interesting thing going on, like, uh, way, way, way back in the beginning of this whole COVID thing, there was that basketball player who touched all the mics and then he ended up getting coronavirus. And then there was the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who, like, sh- made a point of shaking everyone's hands and he ended up getting coronavirus. It seems like if you're a public figure in the public and you make a point to mock the coronavirus, it becomes a 100% chance that you will get the coronavirus. It seems pretty pretty poetically accurate. And, and you know, honestly, in the wake of so many people dead, I believe we're up to 130 thousand people dead in america uh it's car car karma karmatically it seems like it's fair and just that these people who mock the virus get the virus because people are dying human lives are being lost where they otherwise might not have like this is an actual serious thing and if you make light of it if you make it make fun of it you deserve kind of what's coming to you in a way. And to, I mean, to, 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 if to you, further, if you actually flaunt it, if you actually, if you actually go out of your way to take part in activities that should give you the coronavirus, it is a global pandemic that is extremely infectious. You'll probably get it. Right, right. It's just we make fun of a lot on this show. Probably more so than what we should, even though we, we watch ourselves very carefully. But we haven't made fun of the coronavirus yet, and that should tell you a little something. That this is not an issue to make light of in any way, shape, or form. Especially if you're a public figure, and you still have to go places and do things and meet with people. I don't know. I, we're probably preaching to a choir that already agrees with us, but fuck that guy. <laughs> no, yeah, fuck that guy. Also, he's really terrible in a lot of other ways. Uh, so, you know, one can't hope that he dies, but it is a fact that he has the coronavirus. Uh, but also people who are evil and have a lot of money tend to survive. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting to watch Boris Johnson be out of commission for two weeks, but then he was fine. Whereas, apparently, what's happening in this, I'm not going to call it a second wave, but in this most recent spike of coronavirus, a lot of younger people are passing away. And that's upsetting. I I think that uh, I was reading something that it is due to uh, younger people kind of going out in force, especially... Uh, around holidays that kind of draw a younger, more active crowd and younger right. people are taking it less seriously. So I think if you understood in the early days that younger people were going to take it more seriously than older people, then probably older people would get it uh, more frequently. But now that young people are taking it less seriously, those numbers are getting pretty, pretty close. Yeah, no, it's it's... It's interesting to see the amount of younger people getting sick and also unfortunately passing away, um, showing that 
while there is a propensity for the elderly or the people with underlying conditions to pass away easier, no one is 100% guaranteed to live while having coronavirus, which even further emphasizes the point we should all take this very seriously, wear a mask in public, keep that 6 to 8 to 10 feet social distancing between you and people not in your own household, just take all precautions that you can, treat this as seriously as you can, and just some positive vibes to the people who can't do that, who can't take these precautions because their job and their livelihood are tied into some stupid political conversation about masks or about not believing that the virus is real. And these beliefs are being held by people of power who hold the paychecks and sign the paychecks for people who want to take this seriously but can't. My heart goes out to those people who are trapped in a capitalist system of having to work in unsafe conditions to make more money for the people they work for than themselves. I mean, stay safe out there. And if you do have the mobility uh, to take action against an employer who wants to kill you, either by quitting or, di- or getting a different job, obviously do so. But I don't think anyone needs to be told that. Right, right. And uh, give money to Quibi. Yeah, give money to Quibi, please. <laughs> give us money, Quibi. Quibi, give us money, and, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, just give us some money. Maybe the most dangerous game is a good show movie with Liam Hemsworth and not Chris. Maybe, maybe Quibi, if you give us money, maybe we cure the coronavirus. (laughs) Maybe we give you credit for the cure of coronavirus that we've been holding on to this whole time. I just said we weren't joking about this. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We should stop. Yeah, while we're ahead. Uh, so I believe, if I'm I've looking lost at my com- time stamps correctly... I've completely lost track of time. I'm sorry. That's fine. I, I think that we're at a pretty natural stopping point. We talked about all the things we need to. The dire, unfixable state of our country, Quibi. That's pretty much the two things we need to cover in any given episode. When you told me before we started recording that you had two things you wanted to talk about, two different men with J names are one is dead and one is COVID. That's all you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I was hoping I wouldn't have to bring up the Bolsonaro one, and I didn't have to, but it would put us into coronavirus times, and it happened. Okay. Uh, oh, I was also going to talk about Battle Angel Alita. Oh, right. I saw that you watched that on, uh, I think it was Instagram, but uh, I think we're out of time for Battle Angel, Alita. You know, sorry, Battle Angel, maybe we'll get to you next week. Listen, all I want to say is out of movies that came out in 2019 with Mahershala Ali in them that should have won Oscars... Uh, Battle Angel Alita was the only one. Uh, I think they gave it to Green Book because they couldn't give it to Battle Angel Alita. Right, right. Well, yeah, usually when there's a graphics-heavy sci-fi thing, it gets nominated for, like, sound editing, maybe visual effects, but never for Best Picture. Yeah, I think there's a line in Battle Angel Alita where a giant robot man says, Well, 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 if it isn't Doctor, or should I say Hunter Warrior. Uh, Oh, it's so good. 
That sounds like some good trashy writing. <laughs> it's it genuinely. This is this is my moment of highest praise for Battle Angel Alita. Other than the fact that it is a fun watch, the dialogue genuinely feels like a dubbed anime from the '90s to a point that I think it almost has to be intentional. Well, it was a graphic novel first, right? Maybe they're literally lifting translated pages from the graphic novel. That would be so fascinating. A character says, there's multiple lines where a character says, just an insignificant girl. Someone says, man, your girlfriend's, your girlfriend over there's got a malfunction. Uh, it's so good. So good. Well, <laughs> somebody Quibi, walks into Quibi a room. take a note. Someone walks into a room and a little robot head says, hostile intention detected. (laughs) Um, Everybody watch Battle Angel Alita, which leads me into the social media. That it does, and I'm going to shut up now. Nice. Uh, If you want to send us a tweet, which is the favored uh, communication um method of um birds you can do so on twitter.com i believe uh at zcpcwhj on twitter.com which stands for henry that stands for zibby kibby hibby kibby wibby hibby jibby that's right and if you want to send us a message that's a little bit less of a quick nibble a little bit less snackable snackable content you can do so at our brand spanking new email address which we've had for months at email at zero credits dot net uh, we are on facebook which i only say because i rewatched the social network recently and that movie really hates women uh <laughs> you can also find us on Spotify by searching for zero credit open parenthesis s close parenthesis on Spotify dot com. Is that still where most of our listens come from? Uh, I have not checked statistics as of late, but it seemed like in May there was a weird contender to rise up and dethrone the Spotify uh, throne. But then in June that weird other thing backed off and Spotify might have taken over again. Well, we enjoyed Japan while they were on board again. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next year. We are also on Apple Podcast. Search for Zero Credits Podcast on the Apple Podcast Podcast Search Bar Podcast. Uh, one of the best ways that people can learn about the show is for you to leave a like, leave a share, Leave a snackable comment and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. However, the best way for people to learn about the podcast is word of the snackable mouth is the only way we can survive. I'm really stuck on that word snackable. I'm not even sure it came up in the podcast when we were munchable. I think snackable came up when I was reading from Vulture.com's article about Quibi. Yeah, I think they said, like, snackable, munchable, uh, delicious uh, content. Word of the snackable mouth is the only way we can survive. So please, this is vitally important. Jeffrey Katzenberg, give us $75 million. Uh, We will do anything. 
However, call to action, anyone who's listening to this, tell your friends in a socially distanced way. Call them on your telephone. Call them on your fucking telephone and tell your fucking friends to watch Zero Credits. I made a movie where I interrogate a tiny little talking monkey. I'm David Lynch. You think you have a conversation with another human being on your fucking phone, on your fucking telephone, and that counts? You think you can open your fucking telephone and type in a telephone number and talk to another fucking person and not go to the cinema? Everyone needs to look up David Lynch's just the, the fucking telephone <laughs> quote with David Lynch and read the look. No, it's not even an interview. Uh, just watch that clip and then you'll have context for all of the references we've made here tonight. And from everyone here at the Zero Credit Studio, the studio apartment with a number of bathrooms, a lot of sinks, oddly enough. We want to wish you a happy week. Bye. Goodbye. Let me go ahead and see if we're under the... Are we under 10 minutes for this? Aw, oh, fuck! Goodbye. Oh, I didn't stop recording. Stop. Wait.